0: Friends, you are a beautiful choir. You are a beautiful choir. You should come up here. Every once in a while, someone should just pop up here and listen while the song is going on. I encourage you to do that. All right? During sermon, too, you can do that. (laughs) Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Familiar story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16 in the uh, black-colored Bibles. They're on page 1532, 1532, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16, just those five verses there. We read these words, "'The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival "'heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. "'They took palm branches and went out to meet him, "'shouting, Hosanna! "'Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! "'Blessed is the King of Israel!' "'Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. "'As it is written, "'Do not be afraid, daughter Zion!' See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, I would imagine that if Jesus were on earth today and that if the Ukrainian people had heard and learned and hoped for the fulfillment of a number of thousand-year-old prophecies about how a new king was going to come someday to usher in a new kingdom for Ukraine, and if this man, whose name happened to be Jesus' had spent the better part of three years traversing the country of Ukraine, performing signs and wonders, healing people who were incurable, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, retuning inner ears for those who were deaf, calming storms, walking on water, feeding thousands of people with only a few loaves of bread and a couple fish, raising the dead... I would imagine that if on some Sunday, with a bit of fanfare, that that same Jesus came and entered the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, that the Ukrainian people would have thought, no disrespect to President Zelensky, this man named Jesus, well, he's the answer to our prayers. This man is going to save us. This man is going to throw off the Russian empire that is slowly squeezing the life out of our country and is bent on our ultimate conquest. I would imagine that the people of Ukraine would welcome and accompany him, singing and shouting his praises as he entered that pretty near destroyed city of Kiev. And there you have, a modern-day version of the circumstances surrounding the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Of course, there were no bombs, there were no tanks, missiles, the threat of nuclear or chemical weapons, none of that. But there was an empire, the Roman Empire, who had Israel under their control. Pay taxes to Rome, pledge allegiance to Rome, play by the rules of Rome, and all will be fine. If you don't, well, you can plan on a good deal of oppression, even total conquest. And indeed, Israel, over the years, had become a shell of its former self. It was in no position to rebel or fight against the vast Roman Empire. Back in its heyday, maybe, but that was a millennium ago, its last great king was its only the second king, David, and a bit of his son Solomon's reign too, but ever since for the last 1000 years Israel has seen a whole lot of misery captivity and exile, Israel has spent a lot of time looking over their shoulders at the empires that grew up around them and then got replaced by even stronger ones, a whole lot of things to be worried about, anxious about, scared about. Well, there were some victories along the way. The Maccabees boys put up a good fight for a few years, but that's over 150 years ago now. Israel, around this time when Jesus walked the earth, a thousand years after King David, Israel was firmly in the ever-tightening grasp of Roman Empire control and conquest. But Israel, during all that time, had heard the prophecies, learned the prophecies, yearned for the prophecies to be fulfilled, conservatively, conservatively, 300-plus prophecies. So someday, surely, a king will come, the Son of David, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And he will direct us, protect us, defend us, and guard, guide, and keep us. He will come and lead us to victory. He will throw off the yoke of Roman oppression and rule once and for all. And Israel will be a kingdom again to be reckoned with politically, militarily, mightily. He will usher in Israel once again as God's kingdom on earth. And this has to be him. Look what he's been doing. Signs, wonders, the most recent of which was yet another resurrection. John chapter 11, right before this one. Did you hear about Lazarus? Come out and up from the grave he arose. This must be the one son of David, Messiah, King that we have been waiting for. That will do away with Rome and all its conquests. And today is that Sunday. The day that the people recognize and realize that they just might have that king right in their midst. Surely this must be the one at long last. I mean, everyone was talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Are you kidding me? It was right down the street, a mile or two away in Bethany. All Jerusalem is talking about it, a buzz. And so we read in verse 12, the next day, that's Sunday... The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He's coming from Bethany, just a couple miles, not even, as I said. And it's the time of the festival. What festival? Passover. Passover is just a few days away. It's it's the day after their Sabbath day. So what's happening on Sunday then? People are all arriving for the festival, preparing for the festival. And they are what? Getting the lambs they need for sacrificing for the Passover. So you better believe there are lambs buying all over Jerusalem by one estimate. Recorded by the Jewish historian of the day, Josephus, they did a census one year. How many lambs were slain for Passover in Jerusalem? Two hundred fifty-six thousand five hundred lambs. You better believe there were a lot of lambs scurrying around on that Palm Sunday. A bunch of lambs and a bunch of people who we often call sheep, right? And right in the middle of them all, the Lamb of God, Jesus. That's a little detail we don't think too often about, do we? Anyway, back to the story. Because they're pretty sure now the people are getting excited about this man named Jesus. He could be it. I think he is. The king, our king, he'll conquer the Roman conquest. Sure he will. Kids, get some branches, those big leafy ones, the palm branches. That's what you do when kings are around. That's a Middle Eastern thing. Palm branches symbolize joy and goodness and grandeur and victory. They were used on festive occasions. You can read about it in Leviticus 23 or Nehemiah 8 or 9. Palms were used when kings and conquerors were welcomed, especially after coming home from a victorious war. Get the branches, kids. We think our king is here at last. The answer to our prayers, the answer to the prophecies, the answer for all Israel, time to celebrate. And out they went waved those palms in celebration. And what did they say? Hosanna, which means save, save us. And some people say it's like saying, save him, like God save the king or the queen, but it's pretty clear they're shouting the word of praise and they're intending it also to be their cry for victory, for them to be saved, that they will be saved. And then they quote the psalm, Psalm 118, a psalm usually attributed to David, a psalm he wrote about himself after gaining full possession of the kingdom of Israel, extolling God, but also God's anointed one, David, the king, a psalm of victory and celebration. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people are convinced this this is it. This is the true son of David. The Davidic line, a descendant of David, is going to ascend to the throne. It has to be him. Blessed is the king of Israel. Save us. Hosanna. Yes, he's finally come. Well, then, of course, Jesus chooses one of the less known and less popular prophecies to bring its fulfillment to their attention. He finds a donkey. And in the other Gospels, we know it's a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's a royal animal, but it's not maybe what the people were hoping for. Put him on a white charging horse. He chose a donkey. That's okay. Haven't heard or even thought about that Zechariah prophecy for a long time, but if that's what our future king wants to quote, I guess it's okay. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, he says. That means people of Jerusalem. That's what that means. Do not be afraid, people of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's a little strange that he should quote that, but it's fine. I suppose a donkey is a work animal, and our new king has a lot of work to do to save us, to throw off those Romans. We'll take it, I guess. And then we get this strange verse, verse 16. At first... His disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified. You understand what that means, right? You, you, you confessed it a moment ago, crucified, died, buried, descended to hell, rose again, ascended to heaven, seated at the Lord's right hand, glorified. Only after he did those things, only after that, did these things become clear to the disciples. How does Jesus put it in John 16? But when the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. And here is an example of that. The disciples did not understand this, what was happening here. Not until Jesus had ascended, been exalted, glorified, and the Holy Spirit had been poured out. The Holy Spirit taught them what it all meant that day when Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. That everything in the Old Testament that his disciples knew so well, everything had been pointing to Jesus all along. Even this strange prophecy about riding a donkey's colt. Mind you. It's kind of like Caiaphas, the high priest. Who just a chapter earlier, chapter 11, when all his priestly friends, the powerful religious establishment, were getting all up in arms about how popular Jesus was getting, worried that too many people were believing in him, and somehow that would cause the Romans to take away their temple, their nation, their bread and butter conquest, and Especially after the Lazarus resurrection, incredible popularity. Caiaphas says, John 11, verse 49 and following Guys, you don't know what you're talking about. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Caiaphas, of all people, of all people, prophesying that Jesus was going to die. For all the people. How right he was without even realizing just how right he was. It's better for you that one man dies. Are you kidding me? I think if the disciples had heard what Caiaphas had said... When Jesus was glorified and the Holy Spirit poured out, making things clear, that this little prophecy of Caiaphas would have been one the Holy Spirit would have definitely made clear. Caiaphas had no idea what he was even talking about, but it was the absolute truth. It's better for you that one man dies. Do you see, disciples? All that crowd wanted was a king to throw off Roman conquest. But now, do you see how much better it is that one man died? This man, Jesus, died on the cross for you. Do you see it? The disciples needed to see these things, of course, so they could tell the world so they could straighten things out. Jesus did not come to throw off Roman oppression and conquest. He came to usher in a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of peace between God and his people. He came to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, to go to work, saving us from our sins. In the midst of all those lambs scurrying around that Sunday, the Lamb of God, Jesus, knew that he would be the true Passover Lamb in just a few days. When all those lambs were being sacrificed, the one and only one, who could atone for the sin of the world, the sin of me and you, that one named Jesus was also slaughtered, the Son of God. Of course, by that time, the crowd had turned against him. The crowd who had welcomed him so gladly on Palm Sunday called for his crucifixion just days later, and Jesus was abandoned, deserted by his disciples, went to the cross Do not be afraid, he says here. Do not be afraid. He knew what he had to do. He wasn't telling them not to be afraid about conquest by Rome, not really. He was telling them that they no longer had to fear as they lived their lives. He was telling them that they no longer had to fear. For because of him, their sins could be forgiven. Their death could be an entrance into eternal life. Their relationship with God could be friendship once more. Friendship. And yet we still fear, don't we? We've gone through a number of fears over these many weeks of Lent. Fear of uh, circumstances, temptations, inadequacy, death, hell. We're running out. Today it's the fear of conquest. And well, sure, followers of Christ in Ukraine, well, they can certainly be told by Jesus, do not fear, do not fear conquest by another country. We don't know. It may happen. Though they fight on, it may happen. But still, we don't have that kind of fear in Wyoming, Michigan here. You might say we need to hear those words, do not be afraid, about something like the culture wars, right? Seems like every story in the news is about how Judeo-Christian values are more and more eroding and becoming a thing of the past. And if you don't agree, well, you better just shut your mouth, zip it, or your life will be made miserable by those who would do away with values like those. Keep your mouth shut. You'll be okay. But if you don't, if you resist and speak up, you're going to be, as it were, persecuted for what you believe. And Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Jesus meets that fear for us head on. He met it at the cross and he won against sin and the devil. But sin and evil and the devil still fight on, don't they? And yes, it is our job, our responsibility, our privilege to engage in that fight. Whether or not our reputations or our livelihoods or our businesses or our relationships are attacked, Jesus says, do not be afraid. You know what I did. You know I went to work on that Palm Sunday and was hard at work on Good Friday. And because I did that, now still I have this all in the grip of my hand. And one day, when I have put everything under my feet, after I have destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, I will hand over the kingdom to God the Father so that God may be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15, somewhere in the mid-20s, tells us that. And every last dying gasp of an attack against my rule shall be ended, and then all things will be made right and made new. Do not be afraid. I am at work on behalf of the church, my body, whom I love, says Jesus. That's one battle, the culture wars, that yes, we must join and fight but jesus tells us do not be afraid as surely as i went to the cross and rose again this is a mop-up operation and there's no way on earth or in heaven i will lose and you can trust me in this you trust in the one who has won keep battling strong but do not be afraid of course there are other things that make us fearful We call them our worries, our anxieties. Sometimes they overtake us. Sometimes we don't want to get up in the morning. We don't want to attend a meeting we're fearful of. We'd rather be sick in bed than face life sometimes. Sometimes we deal with anxiety like that. I have a friend who is going through something like that right now in his life. Something so anxiety-filled. He confessed he would rather sometimes end up in the hospital severely injured than have to face what is going on around him right now. He's that fearful. And beloved, it's not only him, is it? Anxieties, worries, fears, they rob us of joy, of purpose, of relationships. They mess with our day-to-day lives, our ability to sleep, our health, our confidence, and so much more. Anxiety and worry flood our lives sometimes, and sometimes it's for long periods of time. We just can't get rid of them. Beloved, in the midst of them, we need to hear Jesus telling us, Do not be afraid. I am with you. My Holy Spirit lives in you. I will never, ever let you go. And you know what else Jesus says? He says, behold, I'm coming again. Look, I'm coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. And the victory I won when I came the first time changed everything. I died for your sins. I rose for your eternal life. But still, the victory that is in store for all my children someday. No eye has seen No ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Beloved, those of us struggling with our anxieties, our worries, our fears, we say that day can't come soon enough. But, God has a proven record of fulfilling every one of his promises, his prophecies. Every last one, down to the type of animal he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And if that's the case, and it is. Though that day can't come soon enough, with us who deal with anxiety and worry and fear so often as we live our lives, Though that day can't come soon enough, that day will come in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the final trumpet. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That day will come, and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Do not be afraid. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in the pit, in the pit that is often our anxiety, our worry, our fear, in the pit that we so often find ourselves living in, living deep in. Father in heaven, you tell us through Jesus, do not be afraid. I'll lift you right out of that pit. Give you a firm place to stand. Father, we pray for that. For anyone here right now who's in that pit. Lift them up. Give them a firm place to stand. High on a rock, we pray. And fill them with the sure hope that one day soon, you will come again. One day soon. And in the meantime, in the meantime, Let them serve you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.